there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in becoming an entrepreneur, specifically an online course and coaching entrepreneur, whether now or at some point in the future, then this is the episode for you because my next guest graduated from Princeton University with a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. She then worked as an International Space Station engineer and then woke up one day making six figures but feeling miserable because she realized she was living her parents' dream, not hers. But it's what she did next that is so fascinating, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Today, Louisa is making millions as the creator of the Employee to Entrepreneur online course, which teaches people of all ages how to leave their day jobs and start their own six-figure-plus business working for themselves. But before I introduce you to Louisa Joe, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that we blast out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring every day that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java junkies, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Louisa Joe, the founder and creator of the Employee to Entrepreneur System, which teaches people of all ages how to leave their day jobs and start their own six-figure-plus business working for themselves. And Louisa has helped thousands of students to date, including health and business coaches, designers, copywriters, and consultants to launch their own businesses that can generate anywhere from 30000 to 100000 in less than a year. Her advice has been featured in numerous online and print publications, including Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Success Magazine, and so many more. Before starting her own business, Louisa not only worked as an international space station engineer for Boeing, but she also worked as a mobile payment startup co-founder and a digital advertising manager. Louisa, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. Thanks so much for having me here. Oh, I am so psyched to get to talk with you and share your story with our listeners. But before I do, I want to make sure that anyone who is interested in learning how to break into this particular track within the entrepreneurship space, check out the show notes for this episode to see if Luisa's Espresso Shots interview has already dropped. There are so many things about you, Louisa, and about your journey to where you are today that are honestly just so inspirational. But before we look back to how this all began, I thought we could kick things off by talking about what you do right now as an entrepreneur, specifically as the founder and creator of the Employee to Entrepreneur System. What is this system, Louisa, and how does it work? 
Yes. So what I think about myself is as really a teacher, a coach, a, a course creator. And so along those lines, quick side note on how this system works. I basically teach people to take some skill and I help them identify it, a skill that they already have that can be profitable and monetized into a service-based business. And some common examples are I've worked with a lot of health coaches, career coaches, relationship coaches, a whole bunch of other random examples too. But those are some of the, the top ones. And what I'll do is I'll show you how to take that skill that you have, how to turn it into an offer to basically essentially a a product and sell that in your business. Then I'll show you how to market yourself, how to go out there, get clients, how to make sales and do it all in the context of an online business. And so that's a really quick breakdown of the system from idea to offer, to setting up your website, to generating traffic, to making sales and, and all of that. And what I do nowadays is I basically, I oversee that business. My primary functions are to think about how do we grow our audience? Am I forming partnerships with other companies? Companies and businesses? Am I creating more content? What does that look like? And I do have a few clients who I do coach with. And so I will coach a select number of students and uh, deliver that as well. But aside from that, the rest of my time is overseeing all the other different functions of the team that I have in place to support the audience and the clients that we do have. Okay. So how many courses are available right now to folks who go to your website, louisajo.com, and that's L-U-I-S-A-Z-H-O-U.com. So right now, if you go to the website, there are no courses available. And we do that intentionally because it takes a certain commitment and really belief to be to be able to take a course and follow through with it and have it work for you. And so I don't want someone who's just finding me randomly to say, Oh, this course looks interesting. Let me buy it. And then maybe not understand what the point of the course is, or really the dedication needed. And so what I do is if you go to my website, then you can get a free PDF, you can get emails from me. And through my emails, I'll share with you the best practices for building your business and eventually how you can join one or more of my courses. And what is the average price of a course that you would offer to someone who's decided after getting several of your emails that, yeah, this is for me? Yeah. So we have quite a few price ranges. I'm trying to think of the actual number of courses that we have. I believe it's around six or so. And so my two flagship courses, which are employed entrepreneur takes you from basically being an employee, no idea, anything to being an entrepreneur with a very profitable business, selling a service, often coaching or consulting. And my other flagship course, which is called Ultimate Course Launch, which teaches you how to create your first course and launch it using my special methodology. Those two are priced between $1,500 to $2,000. And those, like I said, are my two flagship courses. The rest of my courses are in the around $300, $400 or so. And those are more about addressing a specific point in terms of building your business. For example, I have one that shows you how to build your email list and, and takes you behind the scenes of how I built mine. And so that's the big price range that I have. Okay, gotcha. We should probably touch on this now. And that is you do not recommend, especially for young people and 
most of the Time for Coffee audience are, in fact, college students and young professionals. So young people to right out of the gate after they graduate say, okay, let me start my business. And why is that? Mm-hmm. So there are a few reasons. The top reason is because of experience. You're just going to get so much experience working in a job that even if you don't love it and you know down the road, I definitely want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to really see how a company is run, how to manage and be managed by and with people, how different teams and functions interact with each other and all of those things that are going to be really powerful and helpful to you when building your own business that you really can't see anywhere else. The other reason is that it takes money to start a business. And that's the truth. I mean, that's why we hear stories about startups that raise millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital. You don't need that much to start an online business, but it does take time, money, work to understand how to and be able to learn all the skills that you need to be a successful entrepreneur. And so, you know, get a job that allows you to pay your bills invest in yourself and build that. I would say those are the two most important reasons. I think that is amazing advice. Now, Louisa, you mentioned that among your responsibilities at this stage of the game, it includes things like building partnerships. Can you give us an example of a partnership that you built? Yeah. So, well, what comes to mind is actually how we connected. One of the partners that I work with is Teachable. Teachable is a company that provides course hosting software. And so what I'll do is I'll create content for them. I'll be a member of their panels and really share really amazing content. Down the road, I'm going to share more content with their blog, their podcast, things like that. And it's really a beneficial partnership because I also truly believe in and recommend Teachable as the course hosting platform for my audience as well. And so it just creates this really great synergy for the two of us. Excellent. Yes, that is how you and I met because I am in the process right now of creating my first online course and Teachable offered a webinar that ran for several days. And one of the workshops that I tuned in for was one in which you were on the panel and I was so impressed by you and just thought you were such a sharp young woman are such a sharp young woman. And I loved your story about how you had studied electrical engineering as an undergrad and the various stages of your career before you launched your course. I thought you would be a wonderful virtual mentor for my young listeners. Now, something that you said, Louisa, really struck me. You said that something strange happens when you decide not to let your fear be bigger than your dreams. And I can tell you from my personal experience, I remember years before CNN didn't renew my contract in 2007 after I'd worked there for 14 years, I was already miserable because my son was born in January of 2004. So they didn't renew my contract when he was about three and a half years old. But I was honestly too afraid to leave CNN Mm. because I didn't think there was anything else I could do. And, and I don't know if this resonates with any of our listeners, I also didn't have the headspace 
to think about what else I would do because when I wasn't working and I was working crazy hours pretty much all the time, I wanted to be home bonding with my young son. So fear is a very real emotion and it can be immobilizing. Did you experience fear before you became an entrepreneur? So much fear. <laughs> I mean, oh, yes. It's just, you know, we we grow up with certain beliefs that our parents have taught us and that forms our worldview. So growing up, what I knew was what my parents had taught me. Look, money is scarce. It's hard to earn. You go to school, get a good job, and you be darn grateful that you have that job every single day. And that's good enough. I mean, if you've done that, you're you're good. You just you hang on to that. And so it felt so incredibly scary to even think about starting my own business because I had not grown up around any entrepreneurs. I didn't really even understand how it was possible because it just was so such a contradiction to the way I'd been taught you're supposed to live your life. And not only that, that was a big one, but not only that, I am a huge introvert. And so it's draining for me to even think about being on social media or doing live streams or interviews. And so in the beginning, it was it was really scary. For months, I could not get myself to record a single video at all. I would just put it off. It was just, I mean... I feel like it took me years to work through all of those fears where I would say, okay, I'm going to try this. Okay, that didn't work. All right, well, I'll just focus on my job. Okay, let me try this again a few months later. And so it was so much back and forth. That fear was truly paralyzing. It kept me stuck. At some point, you get to a point where it's just, hey, these fears have kept me stuck for a while. What am I going to do? Am I going to let it keep on keeping me stuck? Or am I just going to say, screw it? It's still there. But I want what I want more than I want to let the fears hold me back. So how did you do it? How did you grow your self-confidence despite being taught by your Chinese immigrant parents to be satisfied with a six-figure job with a good company and just keep your head down? So the thing is, I found the right motivation. And for everyone, that's different. But for me, what happened was within a period of about a year, everyone in my family had something almost life-threatening happen to them. So my dad was rushed to the ER for emergency heart surgery. My mother was diagnosed with cancer. And my sister was hit in the eye with a freak snowball. And they, the doctors were afraid that she might lose her eyesight. So, I mean, thankfully, everyone's much better now. But during that year, because everything happened over such a long amount of time and the recovery period for each of these things was so long, I couldn't take the time off to go in and be with everyone. And I remember thinking, whoa, wake up call moment. What does it matter how good my salary or my job looks if I can't be with the people who I love the most when they need me? Okay, something has to change. And in that moment, I found the strength within myself not to overcome my fears, but to say, look, this feels like the scariest thing I've ever done, but I know why I'm doing it. I'm doing it so that I can change this so that if something happens again, I can be there. And all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do the videos. I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do because there is just no other option. I cannot not do this. And so even though it still felt incredibly scary. I mean, my first video that I recorded, I was sweating so much. I looked like I was just like shining with a sweat. Aww. It's kind of gross. Yes. But 
it really was just, hey, look, I'm, I can't fail. I don't care how scared I am. I can't. And so that's what it took for me to be able to go out there. And once once you start doing it, you do develop the confidence. It, it comes with taking action. It doesn't come before. And that's what I needed to do to be able to do that. So without going into what you were doing earlier in your career, after, right after you graduated, could mm-hmm. you share with our listeners, Louisa, how you... I guess, dipped your toe into the entrepreneurship pool before diving all the way in? Yes. So I did quite a few things. One thing was I formed a tutoring business pretty much right out of college. And the reason for that was because my mom's parents had seen me get into a good college and they wanted me to help their kids do that. And my mom asked me to help out her friend's kids as a favor or not a favor, most like, Hey, you're my daughter. You're going to do this. You don't say no to your mom. And so I thought, what's the best way for me to do this where I'm not going to have to individually talk to every single person. And so I started doing classes at the local library and so many different classes like SATs, writing, math, English, all of those things. And that just word of mouth spread. And people were like, Hey, look, this girl's classes are really good. You should come check it out. And so that ended up doing pretty well. I didn't continue down that road because I thought to myself one day, I realized I spent the first two decades of my life trying to get into a good school. I don't want to spend the next few decades thinking about how to get other people into good schools. But it was a really good experience teaching me how to really like the importance of delivering what you promise and over delivering. Because if you do that, word about you is going to spread. So that was a little bit. And then the other really even more experience that I gained was a few years into my career, I connected with someone who ended up becoming my my co-founder. And, and we started to... We worked on building this mobile payment startup. And this was before Apple Pay and right around when Google Wallet was supposed to be the next hot thing. And so we did that spent a good amount of time about around two years working on that and raised some money. Things were really exciting for a while, but we failed. I'll tell you, I know we're going to talk more about that in a bit, but eventually it basically ended up failing and I had to walk away from that. But it just taught me so much about what it's like to build a business, mistakes to avoid, and really just gave me a taste for what's possible. So were you doing that mobile payments startup full time? No, I was doing it on the side. So everything that we talked about where I'm very risk averse, where I recommend having a plan B, hedging your bets, all of that, I followed it myself. Excellent. So this was your side hustle. Mm -hmm. And before you quit your last job working for someone else, how long had you been building your current business? So I'll tell you the technical numbers and then I want to caveat it. So I wasn't in my current business at the time. At the time, I was taking my digital advertising skills, which was what I was doing in my last job, and consulting on that on the side. And with that business, within about four months from about start to end, I had made six figures and turned in my notice. Now, I want to caveat that because four months sounds incredibly short with the fact that don't forget, right? For years before that, I'd been testing other things. I had been trying other online businesses as well. So I had done a lot of failure, a lot of learning for years. And then finally, with the right motivation, with the right business at the time, everything just came together for that to happen. Got it. And so it has evolved 
to where you are today? Yes. Okay. What makes a good idea for a business, Louisa? Do people want it? Do people, not only do people want it, are people willing to pay for it? They're not just saying, hey, yes, I'd like to pay for it, right? It's, hey, and this is what I talk about where whenever I recommend someone starts out, I recommend they do market research. And one of the questions I have my students ask is after they understand the problems that someone is struggling with and what they want to end the market research with one question. If someone could help you with whatever it is that they want help with, would you be willing to pay for it? And the key is the response. It's not a yes or a no or maybe it's an, oh my gosh, yes, I need that. When you have heard that, when someone is like saying, how can I pay you? That's how you know you've got a good business offer. Great. Okay. Let's flashback to when you were in college. You graduated from Princeton with a BS in electrical engineering, and you declared that major, I believe, because you felt it was a safe bet to ensure, right, that you were going to get a good paying job as an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. What role did your being the daughter of Chinese immigrants to the U.S. play in this decision? And what advice, Louisa, do you have for our young listeners whose parents or maybe their grandparents, maybe from another country originally, or who may be pressuring their children to study whatever it is because they believe it is a pathway to professional security because they believe it's a safe bet? Yes. So that had everything to do with my studying electrical engineering. Just growing up, I don't think my parents ever once entertained the idea that I might not study some form of engineering because in their mind, it was, hey, engineers have the most job security. So that's what you're going to do. And looking back, to be honest, I'm so glad that it happened. I think the discipline of my major really forced me to get more disciplined because my natural strengths, to be honest, are more in like English. And I'm just remembering some of the psychology classes I took. Those were relatively easy for me. I struggled so much with the classes in my own major. And because of that, yeah, because of that, I was forced to study harder, to really push myself, to really just do whatever I had to do to improve that. And that gave me a discipline and even more of a work ethic that I might not have developed otherwise. On top of the fact that it taught me that we were talking about earlier, it taught me how to think like an engineer, right? To be very analytical, to analyze problems, to solve problems, to always seek a solution versus assuming that, okay, that's just the way things are and maybe giving up. And so for all of those reasons, I actually cannot imagine any better major that would have been a better choice. And so my advice is, look, you can start wherever you are and get to wherever you are. There are infinite paths to the end goal that you want. And so just do your best, pick the best one, whether whatever your goals are, whether that's job security, like my parents and my goal at the time, whether it's to pursue something that you really like, have fun with it, enjoy it. And that's just a starting point. That is amazing advice. So when you graduated and was it in 2009 or 2010? 2010. 2010. Did you know what you were going to do with your degree? I thought I was going to be an engineer for the rest of my life. And so what was your first job and how did you get it? 
Yeah. So my first job was working for Boeing. And so how I got it was because I, I grew up in Houston where aerospace is a big industry. My father had been working in the aerospace industry as long as I can remember. And so it was just kind of a given look. Here's a safe path. Here's a good job. And that's what I'm going to do. And so I remember just applying for jobs with the Boeing application system, really talking about my background, the fact that I lived in Houston, all of that. And I mean, the regular process, right? And I, I am trying to remember the specifics. I think what happened was, I mean, I did also get lucky as well, because the team that I was applying to that had an opening, they happened to know my dad. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, and this is crazy because Boeing has like, I think over 200,000 employees. Right. So the chances are, right, you know, not not that high that someone's going to know someone else. And it just, I mean, it, it just worked out. I got, everything came together right time, right place. So did you enjoy working on the International Space Station? It was really fun. I mean, I remember one of the coolest things I got to do was go into the back mission control room, not the one you see in the movies, but the the one behind the scenes. And I got to see an astronaut actually working on the screen. It was unreal. So there, I mean, there were so many things I loved about it. Everyone I worked with was amazing. But at the same time, it just felt a little bit, I don't want to say old, that's not the right word, just a little bit too much red tape, government contractor type agency. And so there was a part of me that wondered, okay, hey, is there something else? What what more can I try? So how did you move into your next industry and what was it? Yeah. So my next industry was financial services. And how I moved into it was I... Obviously, I didn't have any knowledge about the financial services industry. But what I did have was my analytical ability. I had a technical background so I could learn any programming languages really quickly. And so I used, I leveraged that to get a kind of analytics-based position in a financial services firm. It was just crossing over with the skills that I had. And through doing that, that's actually how I connected with a person who I would work with down the road to basically co-found that mobile payment startup. And then how did you move into digital advertising? Yes. So same type of process, right? I leveraged, again, I didn't have skills in particular in that industry, but my theory has always been, look, you can learn the industry specific skills if you have like the foundational skills that can shift from industry to industry. And so I still had my analytical ability, my very strong technical background. And so again, I leveraged that to get a position at a startup in digital advertising. And then from there, just moved up and in my career and just really enjoyed my time there as well. So what is the takeaway, if anything, from your story, Louisa, about building and leveraging your skill sets? Yeah. So the best thing is don't look for like a job or an industry to be your security or your happiness. Find out within yourself, because if you trust yourself, your skills, just like what I just shared, right? You can and you can transition into any industry. You can start any business as long as you've made that investment in yourself and your own skills. And if I may, I would just say as a as an observer, as someone who has read about your story and now heard you tell your story, I think you are also someone who learned to listen to your gut mm. and maybe your heart. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. And that is true. I mean, 
I remember each step along the way. I mean, my parents love me, but they, 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 you know, I read somewhere once that your parents want what's safe for you, right? They want you to be safe, not to be challenged. And so each time I was doing something, uh, I was changing industry, applying for a higher uh, role or salary. My dad would say things like, whoa, you know, you're not worth that, whatever salary I would share at the time, or just be safe. And the reason for that was because to them, it sounded really scary. It was, you know, outside of their worldview. And yeah, when you said that, it reminded me, I really had to just sit with it and, and think to myself for a bit, how, how can I, like, how can I want this when my parents wouldn't even have thought it possible? And it just becomes a point where it was, hey, look, I'm not feeling challenged. Maybe I'm getting bored or I know there has to be more. And then choosing to listen to that voice versus the the voice maybe that you grew up hearing. And in the process, overcoming the natural fear that all of us have. I mean, I challenge you, listeners, dear listeners, to find someone who has taken a leap, even as Louisa did, where she dipped her toe in the entrepreneurial pool before she dove in. The day she handed in her letter of resignation, I guarantee you, was a day in which she felt both tremendous excitement, but also tremendous trepidation. Oh, yes. In fact, after I turned in my notice, or I told I had that meeting with my manager and said, Hey, this is my two weeks notice, I went into an empty conference room, closed the door and basically freaked out was like, Oh, my gosh, what did I just do? What if I don't make any more revenue in my business? I don't know how long I did that for. But that was what happened. It wasn't like I was so, you know, glamorous and confident and all the stuff that you might see in the movies. (laughs) No, that's what really happens. You didn't like throw your hat in the air. And (laughs) you're too young for Mary Tyler Moore. And most of our (laughs) listeners are. But there's that like quintessential scene where she's in the show open throwing up her hat, like just feeling this tremendous exhilaration. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So before I ask you to share a time in your professional life when you failed, when you were challenged. Could you share with our listeners, Louisa, where you are right now in terms of your business? You've already shared that you're making millions of dollars at this point, but how would you characterize the life that you have built for yourself professionally and personally? Yeah, I would say the word that I would best use to describe it is growth. And the reason why I think about that is because what I've done is I've built a business that has allowed me to grow into the person that I am today. And even now I'm looking at it as a way to continue growing my myself, the value I have to share and to teach and the the life that I am able to live. So growth in so many different areas. And Today, I it's still the same thing. I'm constantly looking for, okay, what are ways I can evolve and grow? Can I get better at sharing content? Can I share my my experiences and my advice on podcasts like this even better? Can I teach in better ways? And can I become a stronger, more resilient person and entrepreneur? And so that is really how I would characterize where I am, where I was, and where I hope to continue to be any regrets? I've made lots of mistakes, you know, but 
I don't regret any of them because if I hadn't made them, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I, let me, let me just emphasize, there have been times where I made a big mistake and beat myself up for it for a very long time. So it's not like everything just worked out beautifully. But again, knowing that those taught me the lessons I really needed to learn everything, it just led me to where I'm supposed to be. So I can't, yeah, I can't regret it. it. I should have clarified. I meant any regrets about turning in your letter of resignation. Oh, oh my gosh. No. I mean, sometimes I do miss like the camaraderie I had at my last job. I miss, so it was a tech startup. So we had awesome benefits like the catered lunches and the snack room, just really fun things like that. But Overall, not a single ounce of regret. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. So share, if you would, a time in your professional life, you've alluded to them, when you face planted, how (laughs) you persevered, and a lesson that you learned in the process, Louisa. Yes. So before I do, I want to share something really powerful a mentor shared with me years ago, which was he said, my job is not to prevent you from making any mistakes. That's going to happen no matter what. My job is to prevent you from making a mistake so big that you cannot recover from it. And my biggest takeaway from that was that, oh, hey, mistakes are a part of the process. You have to realize that instead of how so many of us are taught growing up, myself included, that mistakes are bad and they should be avoided at all costs. No, they're a part of the process. And so with that in mind, thinking through, I mean, I've made so many, but one of the top, like I would say failures that I had was when I was working on the mobile payment startup. And the thing is, we raised a good amount of money. We basically what happened was we raised multiple six figures. We had a multiple million dollar valuation and we had investors lined up who basically said, hey, if you can meet these goals, we'll fund you an additional few million. And it was really exciting. Like I said, at that time, it just seemed like mobile payments were going to be really the next big thing and change the world. And where we failed was we spent way too much time kind of caught in our how do I say this, the ourselves and the excitement of being entrepreneurs and having accomplished the things that we'd already done and what great things we were going to do instead of really putting our heads down and building the product. Like we were so busy focusing on the marketing. Who are we going to partner with? How amazing this is going to be. We had a demo for what the product was going to be like, but because neither of us had the technical ability to build the product itself, we put off hiring someone to do that for too long. And the moment passed, the opportunity window closed and we reached a point where it was like, look, you know, all of these other options are popping up. They're more advanced than we are. Yes, we had some yeses from people who might be willing to partner with us, but it just, it wasn't enough traction. And so my biggest takeaway from that was, look, stop talking so much. I mean, partnerships are important, but first build a really great product. Oh, what wonderful advice, Louisa. Thank you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I'm so glad that you shared that wisdom from one of your mentors that his objective was not to try to prevent you from making mistakes, but to prevent you from making mistakes that are so big, you can't recover. The fact is we all make mistakes. And I I almost want to say I am trying to push myself to increase my own comfort level 
with mistakes, to lower the level of pressure on myself to say, everything has to be perfect. Because the truth is, none of us is perfect. Mm -hmm. And as long as the essence of what we're trying to do is there, the spirit, the intention, the content is there, I think our listeners, our readers, our customers are forgiven. Yes. So final time for coffee question, Louisa. If you could go back to Princeton and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, and boy, do you have a lot, what advice would you give yourself? So the biggest piece of advice I would give to myself is to take more advantage of the opportunities that I had. Because after graduating from high school, I'd worked my butt off, gotten into a good college. And I I thought to myself, okay, I'm done. I'm just gonna, I don't plan on going to grad school. And so I'm just gonna enjoy my life, do all the things like have fun, skip class, all the things I never did growing up. And worst possible time to be doing it because I missed out on connecting more with my fellow students, on connecting with my professors, on really just learning and challenging myself to grow even more mentally in just all the ways that I could have. And so I would say that that would be just like, my advice would be, look, go to class, go to office hours, talk to your professors, spend more time, even more time hanging out with fellow students, really develop those relationships and friendships that I mean, could have been just so amazing with the the people that I knew and make the most of it. You know, once we had the King of Jordan come in and speak, I can't remember why, but we just had, yeah, we just had opportunities like that. And I was going to go and then I said, you know what, screw it. (laughs) I don't feel like going. And so just like opportunities like that, I would tell myself, look, show up show up, put like take advantage of all of those opportunities. That would be the number one piece of advice I would give to myself. Mm. Oh my gosh. Amazing advice. And honestly, not that I played hooky really during college, mm-hmm. but so much of what you've just said in terms of engaging more with my professors outside of the classroom and really building deep and meaningful relationships with classmates that were different from me. Yes. Who didn't have a similar backstory to mine, who really would have enriched my life and opened my eyes in ways that maybe didn't happen ever or Mm -hmm. would have happened a lot sooner. Yes. LuisaJoe.com is the name of Luisa's website, and it's L-U-I-S-A-Z-H-O-U.com. You can download a free PDF that Luisa has created. It's called Roadmap for Building a Six-Figure Income Online for Your Online Business. Luisa, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. You have said so eloquently that there are infinite paths that we can take when we leave college, no matter what our major. You are proof positive. You are such a badass young woman. I am so excited (laughs) for all of the success that you have had and I have no doubt are going to continue to have as you evolve during the course of your life. Oh, thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.